Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ginny. I'm Natalie, and we are the Art History Babes. And we are joined today by multiple friends. (laughs) So many friends. Zach. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I also have a pocket knife in my hand. Um, I (laughs) comfort objects. As soon as we started recording, my video just cut out. So I didn't hear or see anything that got started until you all laughed and said Zach. But I missed. But now we're back. It's good. It's good. Real professional operation we have here. Is it a surprise the show is three months behind schedule? <laughs> I don't know. No, no. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that you guys stuck to our brand. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So we're the art history babes. That's the amazing Zach Clark <laughs> hey. from National Monuments Press. <laughs> Zach and I have been curating a show. Um, called Virtual Realism, and we are finally reaching the kind of end of the show and that everything is curated and that we have things put together. And now we're doing um, uh, episodes where we're talking to some of the artists from Virtual Realism. And so today um, we're joined by Anna and Connor, who are both featured in virtual realism. Um, So thank you both so much for joining us. And um, we're going to get into like both of your individual practices and everything. And we're very excited um, to have this time to just talk to you about art, talk to you about your work and the show and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, um, same. I, I love love the podcast and love working with Zach. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what I would love, how I would love to start is just have each of you kind of talk a little bit about um, yourselves in terms of like what your background is, a little bit about your work, and then we'll kind of get more into the specifics of your particular works in the show. Um, but Connor, let's start with you. Yeah. Hey, y'all. My name is Connor Zora. Um, I'm a 24-year-old artist uh, from upstate New York, um, currently living and working in Washington, D.C. Um, my practice is rooted in ceramics, and I'm really interested in the relationships between sort of imperial ceramics, um, cultural taste, and political power structures uh, in the United States. Yes. So fun. So good. Can't wait to talk about your work for this show more. It's Oh, so good. Um, and Anna. Hi. Yeah. So I am an artist. I lived in the Bay Area for a long time, um, but I recently moved to Albuquerque for grad school. So I'll be pursuing my MFA at the University of New Mexico. And my background is mainly in photography, though I really like to um, kind of mix it with installation and try alternative printing processes. And um, I think a lot about like memory and perception and um, also dabble in political work too, especially over the past few years. Um, So that's kind of the work that I submitted to this show is sort of in that, all of those areas, I guess. Definitely. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that that actually was why, so for all of these episodes that we're doing, we're pairing artists together um, and through sort of connections that we see or know in the work. And so um, with both of your work, uh, they're, they're both work, they're both work that is politically inspired, but um, not necessarily the most traditional approaches to making political work. Um, I mean, that's, I, I would say that Connor, your piece um, with the Make America Great Again hat is, is on the more overt side of things, but your mm-hmm. ceramic pieces, uh, you know, those are, they're a piece of Americana there. There's a craft and folk art side to it. So it's a much more kind of subtle approach. Um, I think Anna and I, um, a crit group that we're in together, we talk about soft activism a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that both of your work falls into this area of like a soft political activism. Um, not that it's soft in content, but you're, it's, it's a more, it's, an, it, it's, softer approach that ends up being more uh more inviting i think to some people who may not want to see political work because uh, mm-hmm. they're turned off by that for some reason so <laughs> um so i so that's a really long build-up <laughs> um seeing that politics is both part of your work but um in that more subtle way do either of you like have anything you want to say about um that sort of approach and what makes you want to make work that obviously is making a statement but in that um more nuanced subtle way yeah i mean i think i just find it's more interesting and um kind of because it's part of a process for me to kind of like when i'm making work like that i think i'm trying to figure out something that I'm thinking or um, like I have thoughts about it, but it's not fully resolved. And the process of doing that kind of gets me to realize what my like thoughts are. It's more based in emotion. And I think it being less, I don't know, everyone has different emotions and different feelings. And I, I like, I guess I want it to resonate with people on multiple levels. So as I do for me, um, so I'd rather have it be like, inviting or kind of have like a little questionable um, side to it that's intriguing to people and then kind of break down the layers from there. Or maybe you you might not necessarily know that it's about something dark or political until you kind of like read about it or like look closer or spend time with it. I feel that with my soul. That's like part of the root of my practice, I feel. For me, some of it comes from my background. So where I grew up in upstate New York, I grew up in a a sort of small conservative town outside of Rochester. And so I was raised, I was like conservative through like early high school until I like started expanding my view of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But sort of what I noticed from that and just the conversations I was having with my family as like my viewpoints were changing over time um, and with other people is that when you can frame something in a lens that people are already a little bit more um, open to, I feel like it opens up a dialogue in a way um, that if it were to be completely just upfront and in your face with something, people are less receptive to it. So for me, I think part of it is using um, 
sort of the seductiveness of ceramic and the sort of shiny material and the gold and the porcelain, like really draw folks in um, and then sort of confront them with the contents of the piece after they're already invested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And, and I notice that sort of quality in both of your work, especially in the show where it does have that, both of your work has that initial, like very alluring aspect, visual aspect of it, where it's like, Anna, you have like these flowers, you know, like people are naturally drawn to like that kind of organic, bright color. And Connor with your work, you know, like you just said, it's, it's shiny, it's ceramic, you know, it, it pulls you in, in this seemingly initially kind of almost decorative way. Um, but there's a lot more substance that is after that initial kind of interaction with your work, um, which kind of feeds into talking more specifically about what you chose um, to include in the show and would love to just hear more um, from the two of you about the body of work that's in virtual realism specifically and kind of what you're, what you were thinking about while you were making it and, and why you um, wanted to include it in the show. Yeah, so I submitted this series of um, floral arrangements that look sort of drippy and kind of abstract. Um, And I can talk a little bit about the process too, but um, I had been thinking about uh, like the cultural situation. I think it started in like 2018 around the time of the Parkland shooting, Mm -hmm. which is happened on Valentine's Day. Um, So I was thinking about like the transaction of giving flowers and then these kind of like empty gestures that politicians were saying in response. Um, And not just that one scenario, but like this is years and years of um, shootings and just inappropriate response to trauma that happens in our country. Um, So, you know, they'd say like, oh, the families are in our thoughts and prayers, like thinking of you. And just I was thinking a lot about like, that's so empty. (laughs) Um, So I started taking these like screen grabs of floral arrangements from sites like Amazon or just like big corporate floral companies that you can get an arrangement from and send it anywhere. And it's funny because they actually all look the same. So like if you go and just Google search floral arrangements, like somehow the same orange arrangement is on all these websites. And (laughs) like no one is actually taking the time to pick flowers from their region or like even put time into creating it like it's just this cookie cutter Mm. arrangement that can really go anywhere and I don't know just I started thinking about like the transactional side of it and like how deeply rooted capitalism is and like consumerism in our country um even in these really like emotional traumatic spaces that uh so I printed them out onto this paper that actually is like a synthetic plastic um, and it resists the ink. So the process kind of forced me to spend time with it and really like put my own um, like physical work into the pieces. So I would hang them on the wall or like blow into them or hang them in different directions or lay them like on the floor of my studio and they'd have to sit there for a long time as they dry. Um, So kind of like a, for me, it felt kind of like that was a way to be ceremonial or like spend time with this traumatic experience. Um, 
but I mean, there's also some kind of humor to it because it's like they look like pop art and like pretty and beautiful. And I don't know, I guess like it's also kind of a way of dealing. For sure. For sure. For me, the piece that I originally picked was the, uh, I call it Trenton Vase Pandemic. Um, and it's like maybe a two foot tall vase. Um, but what I was looking at with this is um, challenging American exceptionalism. So a lot of my work is sort of rooted in taking a look at how, does, how do we project ourselves as a country um, to the rest of the world? Um, what do we say that our ideals and values are um, as compared to what do we see in reality? Like, what is it like on the ground, right? And so um, the vase that I submitted is sort of referencing a vase from 1904 that was created uh, by the Trenton Potteries Company up in New Jersey uh, for the World Fair uh, down in Louisiana. And the Trenton vase was created um, basically as this... um, piece that was supposed to represent, you know, this is what America is to the rest of the world, right? So on the original, um, it was black and it's got in the main sort of frame, the scene is Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh, very typical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> haven't seen that before. Um, but sort of like projecting like all of this grandeur and like, this is what we are. And I was working on a series of these, which is ongoing. But when I was working on this first one, um, the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. right, March of last year. Mm-hmm. And so I had to take a break and went home to see my family in Michigan. Um, and I couldn't work because I didn't have access to my ceramic studio. But while I was there, the things that I was noticing is that kind of typical of America, but I feel like a lot of these values that we profess were like, really turning around and biting us back in these strange ways. Um, So specifically, right, the idea of like personal liberty or freedom, I think is something that over the course of 200, 300 years, right, has twisted from this original idea of like freedom from oppression into the freedom to do whatever I want, regardless of the consequences for others, right? And sort of thinking about that as an American ideal that we really project outward. And also, like, you know, talking about the virtual realism um, response to socialist realism. Mm -hmm. A lot of my work, too, I'm interested in looking at historic political artworks, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. With socialist realism, right, they're looking at trying to project a very specific narrative of what it is that the USSR is doing um, or whatever the respective country is doing. And for me, I wanted to project a sort of vision that I was seeing, um, not just from my own experiences, but from many perspectives that I had seen um, throughout the pandemic. So the images that I used on the face are collaged um, with different photographs from media coverage of um, the pandemic. Uh, And so there's like a sort of A side and B side. One of the sides um, is really dealing with anti-mask protests. as sort of a focus, right? This idea, again, that my freedom is worth more uh, than the common good, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting doing that too, because the side with those protesters, I used one of the images was from protesters outside of the Michigan State Capitol. Um, mm-hmm. So this kind of made national news at the time, um, but it wasn't as big of a thing. But basically, 
months before uh, January 6th happened, um, a whole bunch of far-right protesters in Michigan stormed the state capitol uh, with firearms and got into the building and were just, like, running around with these, like, massive rifles and stuff. Yeah. Again, just protesting for their freedom to not put a cloth over your face. Like, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm starting to ramble, but... No, this is great. Ramble away. We ramble yes. all the time. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so I was interested in basically right framing a multiplicity of perspectives, like getting not just one viewpoint, but a sort of collective viewpoint and saying, like, this is what America is in reality, right? Projecting this is the country um, as it actually is, um, yeah. mm-hmm. regardless of the ideals that we are projecting ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and what a what a time to already be thinking about those things and then just have it all really dialed up <laughs> in mm-hmm. kind of the the public uh space in the last year and a half where we're just like that those kinds of dichotomies are are constantly in our visual spheres. Um yeah. <laughs> how do i phrase what i want to say um i i think that another you know i'm I'm speaking to a small collection of pieces that is here within our show um but you both going back to that soft activism that i was talking about um also have a um destructive streak in your work uh, which i think is also something that's interesting um that uh they are these you know more approachable works but there is also this like inherent violence in them um that i think is is fairly interesting um and so you know i um i'd be curious to hear where that comes from and from really you know photography and clay um you know we're kind of polar ends of, of material spectrum with those two aspects. Um, and so, you know, Connor, you're working with an inherently breakable uh, thing. There's a fragility to the work that you're working with. And so um, I'm curious how much that aspect of destruction, like is something you're thinking about and that aspect of fragility that you're thinking about. Um, and then similarly, Anna, you're, you're working in a medium that is, um, you know, famously eternally reproducible. We're we're reprinting work from people who have passed on years ago. Um, so there is a sort of timelessness that you know. But you've also found a way to be destructive with a um, something on the other end of the spectrum that is almost unbreakable. Um, and so, kind of where that aspect of destruction and entropy kind of works its way into the way you're thinking about a lot of your work. These compound questions are are huge. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot and kind of try to challenge like what the idea of a photograph is. I mean, for a long time, a photograph was supposed to be like a symbol of truth or like this, 
moment actually happened happened or it was capturing something in reality. Um, but I think that that idea is kind of like long <laughs> gone. Um, and I really like to to play with that. Um, in this case, like with the floral arrangements, it's I don't think it's quite as obvious, but um, the process around doing that, like taking this image from online, that's really recognizable. And then I'll manipulate it in Photoshop and kind of like adjust the scale of some of the flowers and make the colors more extreme or saturated. And I'm kind of interested in this, like where beauty and like the grotesque overlaps and like it can kind of be both. Um, so yeah. And then I think just by printing them in the way that I do, like bringing something digital, digital back into analog space and kind of like, like physically manipulating the ink and yeah, like deconstructing it or like, um, sometimes like pouring other materials onto it. And, uh, there's something about like physically altering an image, um, that feels really satisfying to me <laughs> and, and almost therapeutic. So yeah, it is kind of violent and, um, but like also empowering in a way because sure, whoever captured the initial photograph, I mean, in this sense, it's not as like high risk. It's just a photo of flowers, but like Connor was talking about media images. Like a lot of my other work, I, I pull from media images and kind of question, like it usually starts with either rage or like a, a like pretty serious emotion and processing that emotion through the manipulation of it. Um, and then kind of living with it for a long time as it like dries in the studio and thinking about it like years later. I'm I'm curious to see like how my mind feels in the moment. And then like two years from now or 10 years from now, like will it carry the same feeling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I what you said, like the rage is kind of being a fuel, like in the creation of the work is something that we have in common. Um just, you know, when you're dealing with social and political topics like that, especially, you know, the past couple of years we've been making work under Trump, um, there's so much just like rage that has been building up. And for me, part of that is I want to find, like, write a creative, uh, productive way to use that rage to try to do something better. Um, with Anna, what you were saying, too, with your images, I you might agree, but I feel like I like to think of destruction almost as an act of creation as well. Like it's got this sort of duality to it. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Like y'all have talked about iconoclasm before, but I think like a lot of artistic processes really involve like taking things and cutting them up and mashing them together. Right. Yeah. Um, in my work, I like to do a lot of photo collage um, and Anna, from the photos that I've seen of yours, it seems like you do too, right? But like breaking down those images and then building them back up into something else, um, I think is just inherent to the process of creation. Um, I know for me with ceramics, um, that fragility and that destruction is also something that is just inherent in the material, right? Um, so if we're looking at the sort of mega hat, that was an ongoing project. I started back in... 2018 and it started as an assignment when I was in college um, where I don't even remember what it was for. I think it was for a uh, ceramic casting class, which 
casting ceramics, that's an industrial technique. So if you're going to target, you're buying bowls, they're probably cast. You mm-hmm. use a mold made out of plaster. You pour in liquid slip, which is a liquid form of clay, uh, and it replicates the shape of that object. Um, and, you know, given 2018 was already a full year, at least, of Trump, uh, which was plenty of time for rage to build up. And so what I was looking at is trying to find a way that I could sort of break or deconstruct um, the symbol of, right, those red mega hats um, that for me were like the epitome, like the icon of all of the hatred um, towards minorities, towards women, towards LGBT folks um, that Trump had sort of inspired and revved up in people. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was thinking a lot about iconoclasm um, as a process of like, right, breaking that symbol um, metaphorically, but also physically, right? Um, I also like to think a lot, I really like Ai Weiwei. Um, Yeah. yeah. I know y'all do. He's got the piece of him (laughs) dropping the Han Dynasty urn, right? Um, That's one of my favorites. Um, But right, like taking a look at these historical objects that even if it's something so simple or so common, um, like a MAGA hat, right? Those are, unfortunately, were fairly common. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking that and breaking it, um, for me, was an expression of sort of, again, like breaking down... um, almost all of that hatred and violence is saying, you know, enough is enough. Um, yeah. And I think, so I did the performance three times. Um, first time was outside of the white house. Second time was outside of the Capitol building, uh, when he was impeached the first time. Uh, and then, um, the last time was in front of the white house again on election night. Mm. Um, but every time something that I've noticed, um, as I tend to do it when there are crowds of people around, And I haven't ever really documented the process, but part of that piece is sweeping up the remains after, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about an act of destruction. Um, Again, it's sort of this destruction as a process of creation and then the aftercare, right? Tending to the healing and the cleaning up, the restructuring and resettling um, that is left in the wake of this violence, I think is something that's inherent um, both in the process of creation, but especially with political work, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing political critique, I think it's important too um, to think about solutions and you know positive things that we can sort of put forward as ways to move forward and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, I think so much about destruction as being, you know, on its surface viewed as something violent, which it certainly can be. Um, but Connor, like you talking about iconoclasm and and the way that symbols, especially political symbols, can be destroyed and then kind of restructured in order to make some room for something new. And I, I think a lot about, you know, like the iconoclasm during like the French revolution and how you have a lot of imagery of things getting destroyed, which in a weird way, like commemorates that act of destruction, but then also like imagery of new things getting built and how like that whole kind of progression is recorded. And I think it's especially interesting, like that you were 
breaking these because you're in DC. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're literally right there at kind of a, at the center of, um, you know, where Trump reigned. Um, and even just like talking about making art under Trump, you know, like I never really, and I'm curious how both of you feel about this. Cause I, I never really used to view things as like, Oh, making or creating something under someone but that very that kind of verbiage is very also much in line with kind of the the bigger theme of virtual realism and socialist realism as being um a very propaganda driven um art movement because it was made during a time in which the political powers that be were were incredibly um pervasive in people's everyday lives and um, controlled a lot of aspect aspects of people's everyday lives. And I'm curious if, you know, since Trump, the two of you have kind of felt that connection previously, like, or, or do you think it became more heightened where like your art was more in a response to like political happenings in our country and kind of using that like rage that you felt like if if that really felt like it uh I feel like I'm asking a question I know the answer to because I was like I did that impact your work obviously it did but um I think how did it impact you right yeah I mean it's it's more of like this this looking at um our country in a way of being impacted by political powers that be and like the ways in which that feels like it's been more intense over the last few years. So there's not necessarily a question in that, (laughs) (laughs) but it's because obviously both of you are very mindful of, um, the politics in our country. And, um, but I'm curious, I suppose, here's a question. Here we go. I got there. Um, (laughs) since Trump has been out of office and kind of in the sphere that we're at now, like, do you feel that your work has changed in terms of what you're focusing on now, what you're working on now, what you're thinking about now compared to like even a year ago, or are a lot of the themes still, fairly consistent in your mind. That was a lot of words. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I do feel like there was a sense of relief when Mm -hmm. he was out of office and kind of had to like, I don't know, rethink about, I don't, it's almost like PTSD or something. Like I was like, do I still have to be so urgently responding in this way. And I think that's what the first part of your question during those like four years, I, I think I've always like had criticisms or questions, but it felt really urgent during that time. Mm -hmm. And also like, I think being someone who has like a significant amount of privilege, I felt like I really need to say something now and kind of use my privilege in that way. And like, I'm lucky in the sense that I didn't have as much at risk if I were to be extra vocal. Um, and that's something that I, I just don't want to take for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, but now, yeah, I kind of feel like coming out of that time, I, I, I am like more interested in other 
and other things. And um, I think like some of them are still political, but not necessarily directly linked to an individual or like a movement. Um, Although it's kind of scary because I, it's not gone. And it's, that's something that I, I question. And like, maybe it's just, I need to be more involved or I need to be paying attention better. And I'm kind of like letting it go right now, which I shouldn't be. (laughs) I feel that. Yeah, I feel really similarly. I mean, you know, I'm white, so also coming from a position of privilege, too. Um, But especially with Trump in office, I think the urgency was one of the main shifts um, that I noticed in my own work. Uh, Because prior to then, I was still, like, engaging with some of these social themes, um, doing stuff about LGBTQ rights, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of those things, like, I I still remember election night, like you say, PTSD. Like, it's one of those things I remember exactly where I was what I was doing. I remember my partner at the time and I crying ourselves to sleep because we were so uncertain of the future that was ahead of us. And I think there's something to be said about the culture that an individual um, can bring and can change within the country. Like with Trump specifically, it was such a cult of personality specifically. um, But the way that he sort of shifted the way that we think as a society, right? I mean, the social media um, sort of just frenzies feel like they really, really ramped up during that time. Um, I think there was a general chaos or feeling of chaos during that time because it was one of those things where you'd wake up every day and you're like, oh, like, now he's making fun of, you know, Kim over in Korea. Like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, And so... I think after Trump left office, at least for me, there's been sort of some continuation and some change. The biggest change that I've noticed is that I don't feel that same, like, instinctive urgency and, like, deep, like, sense of fear and dread um, that I think a lot of us lived with for the past couple of years. Um, But Anna, like you were saying, you know, looking around, unfortunately, there's still so much work to be done. And so for me, I'm still sort of looking at a lot of these same themes, um, uh, whether it's dealing with things like white supremacy, um, gender discrimination, um, you know, militarism, things like that. Um, But I think I may be approaching it in a slightly more quiet way now. So, like, the first piece that I made, like, after Trump left office, I guess was still kind of related to Trump. um, But it was responding to the January 6th protests in D.C., right? Uh, Because I remember I was sitting in my studio up in northeast D.C., and I was just, you know, working on my stuff. And a studio mate, um, Brittany, was talking to her husband, and she goes, oh, they just broke into the Capitol, And I wasn't part of that conversation, but I had to stop. I was like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. (laughs) And I turn on my laptop and, you know, blocks away, they're trying to overthrow the government. Mm. And it, for me, was this really weird feeling of, like, feeling extremely threatened, right? Because there's violence going on blocks away. But it was also this really unnerving, quiet um, that was taking place because we were at the studio. So even though it was happening, you know, blocks away, Mm. um, 
this attempted overthrow of the government was something that we were personally dealing with quietly. And, you know, I think about Amanda Gorman's um, really wonderful uh, poem that she recited at the inauguration. Um, but the one line that I um, put, you know, sort of inscribing all of the pieces um, in this dinner set is quiet isn't always peace. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about that a lot because even more generally, right, I think politically there's been a lot more sort of calm lately, a little, little more quiet. It's not daily, like, here's the next ex yeah. existential uh, threat. Um, although, granted, with climate change, we could talk about that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we're still dealing with a lot of these issues. But for me, it's in a bit more of a quiet way, a bit more sensitive mm -hmm. of an approach. Yeah, totally. I have a altering, alt, alternate isn't quite the word I want to use, but that's what I'm going to use. Um, but also maybe more generous to America take. Um, I've, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to work this thought out as I say it all um, of the, like, you know, I, um, I have the, I have several more years on a lot of you. Um, and so like, I, I was an adult during Bush. And so like, for me, I definitely know a lot of my, like, especially that was, I, I was in a band on tour during George W. Bush. And so during when bands were doing protests about how terrible Bush was and there was a similar energy of um, a vilification of Bush, hmm. obviously not to the extent that we had with Trump, um, but I think that there, that was there. Um, and then we kind of had this Obama got elected and we all did a sigh of relief and thought that everything was fine. Um, and I think that made that generation of folks, a handful of them, uh, not feel the urgency, but I think that there's a handful of folks that I think, especially folks in their later thirties, forties, fifties, that they still seem very pissed off because they learned, they learned last time not to let their guard up when they thought that somebody on their team was coming into office. Cause even if we think back to Obama, like Obama was pro gay marriage at first or, or anti gay marriage at first. So like there was still a lot of leaps that had to happen um, even when somebody who was, you know, from from the left was in office. Um, and, and I think that that had a bit of a, um, that had a bit of a, hardening is not the word I want to use, but I think that a handful of people on the left were, now have learned to keep fighting, which I think is something that I'm seeing in people who are slightly younger that are like upset that Biden hasn't done away with student loan debt yet. And it's like, that's one that was never going to happen Two, like it doesn't happen in six months um, when a pandemic and cl climate change in Afghanistan is happening. Um, and so, um, I don't know, that's the thing I'm thinking about uh, of the how 
I feel like there's a still a certain amount of fight that is that is still built up in a lot of people or people that are still having a lot of expectation of things need to happen really quickly. But then to make my more generous take that I was thinking about when y'all were talking was that like, do we give Trump too much credit? Like, you know, we um, obviously Trump hardened and radicalized a certain section of the right for sure. Um, but are we giving Trump too much credit that he's responsible for why so many of us on the left felt called to action? Or in the you know previous years, have Americans become um, more aware and more accepting than maybe pop culture led us to believe? And so somebody who was who was being more outwardly discriminate cause a lot of people to go, wait, I'm not okay with that. Like if we see how like white suburban voters changed, like did they change their votes because Trump offended them that much or because it made them come to terms with the fact that, wait, I don't agree with this thing that I thought was the culture that I was connected to had agreed with. Um, Like they needed someone to say out loud what, people weren't actually saying and was just taken as like, this is part of our culture. Um, I don't know. That was a very, very meandery thought. I don't know if it made sense. Um, it, it did make sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think to a certain extent, Trump does get too much credit. And I think in a lot of ways he was a figurehead um, for things that have already been long brewing in this country since its mm-hmm. inception, pretty much. Um, Sorry for all the listeners that we have were. If you have a handful of Trump supporting uh, listeners, I think do you that, think we do? I mean, if we do, they've they've listened through much more divisive conversations than that one. <laughs> sure, we have not held back. Uh, I don't think in that department. I was but, just um, generous, and now I'm, I'm, you know, recognizing sometimes you can be too generous. So, you know. <laughs> it's always uh, too far to go in a direction. Um, I, I like the, yeah, the idea of bringing in, giving him too much credit. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me of, like, very early on in the Trump days, I found this children's book that I brought for, bought for my little brother um, by Michael Ian Black medium and uh basically it's about trump and he um makes him this like little character and kind of the the essence is that it's all smoke and mirrors and the more attention you give him the more he's gonna feel this sense of inflation when it's really nothingness and it still holds i think to this day that like that is kind of what trump has going for him um is he can work up a frenzy and then use that to his uh advantage and he probably has a lot of people who have taught him how to do that or told him exactly what to fucking do but never mind now now i'm rambling um (laughs) but (laughs) god it's contagious you guys uh yeah so i don't know i just i like that concept and we're right back where we started so (laughs) i mean i'm always appreciative in a weird way um not in a weird way but I think you know especially like in the early days of Trump I I strangely was comforted by 
my like art historical knowledge of um, political times of turmoil and how creative people responded to that and how I think artists have been at the forefront of challenging and responding to and processing a lot of issues that encompass like times of great um, strain and things feel very binary and very tense. Um, And, you know, I have always been appreciative of that, (laughs) that, you know, and, and even just like Zach with you talking about being an adult during the Bush administration and how that to you felt like it had a lot of that same energy where people were um, pushing back against that and responding to that. And that, you know, we have this tendency, and I think to a certain degree, it's human, um, where you're, you're in the thick of something that feels so intense and so bad in this last year and a half, particularly so, but also just reminding ourselves that like, you know, there are these ebbs and flows and um, we are lucky and we are privileged to be able to express our um, distrust, dissatisfaction, protest, outrage at the things that are happening in our country um, and do that in ways and express that in ways that feel in certain ways therapeutic. Um, and I think just looking at both of your work and, you know, the ideas behind this show, I'm like, hey, you know, it's pretty fucking cool. Like we, <laughs> we've all been through a very shitty time, but I love both of your work and, and the way the all the thoughtfulness and the ideas and the feelings that you both work through um, to make your work. I'm just very grateful um, for it and um, have a lot of respect for it. So thank you both. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that because there is something just so like pleasant about both of your work and hearing you guys talk about your process and just like how you spend time with things and thoughtful is a great word, Jen, because like, yeah, it just, it very much appeals to my sensitive soul, but I love that it's rage based. Like I like that it's both. Um, because nothing is ever as simple as it appears like on face value. So I like that you both of your work taps into that in terms of process, in terms of what you're actually representing with your work. Um, and yet you make it so like visually appealing at the same time. So it's it's just like it's a lovely experience. And then it's also it feels satisfying because it's not surface level. It's it's all of it. Yeah, it's great to have you guys in this show that I get to watch happen and I just I love all you guys for the stuff you could you've done this is fun this has been like the funnest being a fly on a wall kind of of a conversation (laughs) that I've had in a long time thanks yeah um well before we wrap up are there any parting thoughts or or things either of you would like to share I mean you know by now we are free, free rambling, talking people. So if there's anything else, either of you want to touch on by all means, feel free. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would also ask for both of you to say where people can find you, like your Instagram website and all that. And then obviously once um, we have everything together on the website and the digital catalog and Instagram, people will be able to find you and your work, but um, just wanted to give you a final nod of, 
of time if you'd like it. I just want to thank you guys for creating this space to talk about virtual realism and socialist realism. And it was interesting, like researching that because I, I don't know, Zach had kind of like talked about it a little bit, but I had never really considered how it is in relation to my work, or I didn't really know that much about it. So I had a lot of fun, like researching it and looking at images from that time and kind of making those connections. Um, so just thanks for the opportunity to like talk about it and kind of think in a different way. And for the, for the show, I'm excited to see the rest of the work and yeah, thanks. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> And, you know, same for me. Thank you all so much uh, for including me. Uh, I'm really happy to be a part of this. It's a, it's a cool prompt to look into, um, especially like reinterpreting um, for the 21st century and where we are now. Mm-hmm. You know, looking at how art and culture like is shaping public thought, um, I think is really important. And I'm glad to be a part of the conversation. I know if y'all are interested in seeing more of my work, um, you, I have an artist website. It's connorzoraart.com. Um, I guess that would some, we could spell it in the show notes, but C-O-N-N-O-R-C-Z-O-R-A-A-R-T.com. We love both of them. Oh, man. I'm going to call you back to do some ads with me, Connor. That was beautiful. <laughs> I would love it. I'd love it. Um, <laughs> um, my Instagram is at connor.zora. Uh, the spelling is the same. We'll put that below. <laughs> you know it. You know it. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you all so much for having me, having us. Of course. Uh, yeah, thanks. Oh, my website is <laughs> uh, www.anarotty.com. It's A-N-N-A-R-O-T-T-Y. And then my Instagram is at anarotty, my name. But yeah, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I feel like, Anna, we're doing a disservice if um, we have this whole conversation about political activism and you don't give a, a, a quick plug about being a poll worker, being active in elections, because we all, this probably won't come out before the recall, but if you live in California, you're voting no. And if you didn't vote no, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> Anna is a, a storied veteran poll worker um, who believes in elections very strongly. So um, it's true. give us your pitch. Yeah. So I, I guess like I was going to mention it earlier because that was kind of another way that like when all of this chaos started happening, I really felt like I needed to get involved like on the ground level too. So Um, I started volunteering for the San Francisco Department of Elections as a poll worker in 2016, and I got obsessed with it. Like, I am sad that I moved and can't be a part of it, and they're posting, like, photos on Instagram, and I'm really jealous that I can't be part of it this election. But, um, yeah, I then worked as a poll worker coordinator this past election, so for three months, like, staffing, hiring, staffing, um, making sure that we have poll workers who speak all the languages that are necessary for each like precinct in San Francisco. Um, There's 588 polling places in San Francisco. So it's really cool to see like what kind of people come out and like give up their garages to be a polling place and um, work from like 6am to midnight 
helping other people vote. I just am so inspired by it that I started taking photographs of these people and also interviewing them. Um, and Zach and I are working on a book about that. <laughs> so that will come out at some point. Um, but <laughs> yeah, there's just so much to say about it. I could go on forever, but I just am really inspired by people that like do the work on the ground level. And I mean, even by voting, but just like something about the back end of like what goes into the architecture of democracy and like these spaces and like voting is nothing without people. Um, so it's just really inspiring to me and hopefully I can get involved here in Albuquerque. Yeah. yeah. Thank you yeah, for your cool. service. Anna. Yes, <laughs> Thank you for, for voting. Him. And if anyone wants to be a poll worker, we can talk. Good to yeah. know. Good to know. Oh, you're backing off of that yeah, just get off real quick. Um, vote, please. But also get involved with local politics. Get involved with local groups and organizations. Right. Yeah. Um, even you know, doing national big stuff can seem kind of scary. But you know, help starts at home. Um, mm-hmm. You can help out your local community, whether you're working community gardens, um, you know, helping just redistribute uh, food and resources um, to you know local folks in need. Um, there's always, you know, help that you can do, um, even if it's at an individual level. Definitely. Yeah. It all helps. It all counts. Look at this great note we ended on. I know. From destruction to hopeful. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful transition. We love it. <laughs> what a delight. Well, Connor and Anna, thank you both so incredibly much. Um, we love your work and are so happy to have you in the show. And it was great um, chatting with y'all. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Yeah, it was so great you. talking with you. All right. Okay, I'm not taking that as a challenge, Zach, and it will come out before the recall. So okay. <laughs> that's editing it. So um, challenge accepted. The art history makes Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.